0: All right, all right, good morning, good morning, let's, uh, let's get this show on the road, let's have some fun. It is the first week of uh, Advent, seems like it's the third, uh, already, I mean Advent of course started on Sunday, but we had Taizé, and now it's Friday, the Christmas tree has been up for a week or more I would say, maybe a week. Yeah, two weeks? Yeah, so it seems like we've been in Advent for a long time, but we're not, wearing, uh, we're not wearing rose just yet. So, first week of Advent. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Lo, your King comes to you, triumphant and victorious is He. Almighty God and Lord, we beseech you, come to us with all your power and help us who are anxious and troubled. Send unto us the Helper and Savior, that he may enter our hearts, and with your light illuminate our night. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm. Beautiful prayer. All right, today we're just going to chug along. Session 9 you should have in front of you. And as always, over here there are some extras, but I think I put enough on each table, most tables. If you need last week, session 8, I have it over here, to some extras. Let's see, we're not going to do many verses today. We're going to talk about something that Peter has mentioned already many times, but we're just going to keep going through the text. And today we're going to look at... 13 to 17, from chapter 3. Chapter 3, 13 to 17. The reason we didn't go longer is that the next section, right before chapter 4, Peter talks about some very, very interesting things that if I try to cram them into this session we wouldn't have enough time to talk about them because that's where he talks about specifically about baptism and then about Jesus' descent into hell. And uh, that's a very curious and interesting and poignant part of his letter and of Christian theology. And I didn't want just to cram that into this session and not have enough time to talk about it. So we'll leave that to the next session, I hope. Uh, So today, 13 through 17 and I named it let us do and speak about the good stuff the good stuff came from that word the good stuff came from a professor of mine at the SEM he translated the good that Jesus did the word good in the New Testament I think specifically in Mark he translated as "good" into "the good stuff." Jesus is doing the good stuff, and uh, and that's always stuck with me because uh, if you just say he's doing good, good as a as an a, a, a noun, not good as a as a adjective, he's doing good. Sometimes we hear it as a an adjective, and it's true, but. Specifically, he's just doing good stuff. And the opposite of good stuff is? Even worse than that is? Exactly. Yeah. So the good stuff is the opposite. It's on the other side of evil. So the good stuff. And that's what Peter talks about today. So let us look at, let us do. Let us talk about the good stuff. Zealots of the good, he talks about. And that's an interesting uh, word that he uses, uh, the word zealot, um, in this passage. So, let's look at page 1 there. The previous section ended with Peter quoting Psalm 34. A lovely psalm. So, if you look at the previous verses, so 10 11 and 12, he quotes Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit, turning away from evil and doing the good stuff. Let him speak, seek peace and run after it because Jesus loves to look at him. Jesus loves to look at those who are doing his good stuff. That's what he says there. And his ears are open to them in prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Yeah. In a way, Peter is speaking about man's relationship to God and how the doing good pleases the Lord. But in this next section, I'm not going to press too hard on this topic on this of what I said but let's go let's run with this idea that this next section it's about doing good and how it impacts our neighbors and I didn't say doing good for our neighbors because this there is there are other sections that Peter talks about that I don't think this section is one of them I think it's just doing good and how our neighbors look at that, the good that we're doing. I think this section is more specifically toward that. So it's not necessarily about Christmas sharing as much as it is about the people who are living across the street from the church seeing all the commotion that's going on here. See what I'm saying? The difference between... So I think Peter's more talking about the latter than the former. I don't think Peter's talking about Christmas sharing. I think Peter's talking about how people who aren't involved look at us and interpret what we're doing. Again, I don't want to push that too hard, but let's use that as a, as a lens to look at this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Verse 13. This question sums up, or could sum up, the next five verses, or the five verses from 17, from 13 to 17. How do you respond when somebody gives you a hard time for doing good? Yeah, that's what Peter's going to talk about. How do we, it's strange to think that way, right? It shouldn't be. People, we would like people to just objectively know what good is. And that's not the case. It wasn't the case in Peter's time. wasn't the case before that. And it's not the case today. For people just objectively, everybody just objectively know what is good and what the good stuff is. So that's what he's talking about in this idea of be zealous, for what is good, but you might be suffering for it. That word's going to come up again. Verses 12 and 14. So I, I I went back to verse 12, and I want you to look at those together. I want you to keep those together. So let's look at verse 12 real quick. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. Now verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. What is the, the, the similarity between both of those verses? The
1: Lord is attentive to us, blessing us. Hearing
0: our prayer. Yeah, what's the, what's the word that you can find in both of them? Righteous, So the Lord loves to look at those who are doing the, His good stuff and using His good stuff and being happy in His good stuff. He loves to look at that. He loves it. His eyes are just beaming. And then in verse, verse 14, He brings that word again, the word righteous, and He says, but you know, even if you should suffer for that sake, the Lord's still smiling at you. And that's difficult for us to say, hmm, I am suffering for righteousness' sake, but why is the Lord smiling? Right? You have to hold those things at the same time The Lord looks with joy upon those who are His and do His will. So if you should suffer for being His under His eyes, you are blessed. And remember, you always ought to bless others because we have gone, we have seen the word blessed before as well in Peter. This is not the first time. Uh, When does he say that? You guys remember last week we talked about it. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. So all of these words are coming back. I mean, I wish we had a 14-hour session of this class where we could just... (laughs) with a coffee break. Because sometimes we lose this from week to week. We lose these words, but if you're sitting down and listening to the whole thing, you'll hear, you're like, wait a minute, we just said the word blessed. He just said the word righteous. Of course, last week we talked about how the ESV translates different words differently. So if he uses the the same word, sometimes in our Bible, the same word is not translated in the same way, although in the Greek it would have been the same word and bells would have gone off and not necessarily, but that's not the case in this. The word bless, he uses b- b- the word righteous b- b- one after the other. Unfortunately, we have to split it because we have just an hour. But if you're sitting down with your ears attentive, you would have picked all this up because he talks about us blessing people. But even in when we suffer, we are blessed and we ought to bless. And then Jesus loves the righteous and he likes to look at them and we're going to suffer for being righteous spinning, these ideas that keep spinning. And I do this because we talked about that, right? The idea of these ideas just keep coming back through his letter. And we see it here. Here's a prime example of it. It just keeps hitting. And we're going to see it again very soon. Another big thing that he's already talked about is going to come back. You will be blessed. That's the next section. I thought of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who... You remember some of the stuff in the Beatitudes? Right? Is it always great stuff? Blessed are those who have 500K in their bank account, right? It's not that. It's blessed are those who suffer. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're like, what? But then Peter echoes all of those words that Jesus um, says in Matthew 5. Peter's bringing it back here. So first quote of the day, if a man gives to Jesus the unique place in his life, if the most precious thing for him is his relationship with God, that is something which can never be taken away from him. Therefore, he is completely secure. His treasure is untouchable by the chances and changes of this life. If you do have $5, $500,000 in your bank account, and the year is, what, 2008, you're blessed, and then you're not. Right? And so he's talking about that. What, when are you blessed? What are you holding on to? Is that $500,000 is what you're holding on to? Is something that you're rooting for to happen in your life, in the world? Is it, I mean, worldly wealth is the easy one, right? But there's just so much more that we wake up and go to sleep thinking about, that has nothing to do with true blessedness. The problems around us that we let run our lives, run our thoughts, and the outcomes of those problems define our blessedness. This has to go my way, because if it does not, I am not blessed. My life will crumble if this, will not go, if this does not go my way. This is what this quote is talking about. If you're holding on to those things, and those things don't go your way per the chances of the world. You count yourself in the blessed category. Because, and he's not saying that you shouldn't be worried about those things. He's just saying those are the things that you should not hold on to. Because if you're holding on to Jesus as the primary, unique thing in your life, and you have $500,000 in your account, and 2008 comes by, 2009, and suddenly you don't have any of that, but you're still holding on to Jesus as the unique thing, that's going to be a bummer, more than a bummer. That's gonna, you're going to suffer. Like, I'm not saying you're not going to suffer. That's going to be awful but at the end of the day, that's not what's going to define you. What's going to define you is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what this quote is getting to. The quote is getting to where is Jesus in your life and is what happening, is what's happening in the world taking the place of that? And that's describing your blessedness. Let's keep moving. Let's keep. Have no fear of them. And honor Christ. Let's read a little bit. 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as I'm sorry, honor Christ the Lord as. Holy you will be blessed have no fear of them what's that them who's them talking about what is that them if you start on verse 13 and then you get to the verse the word them in verse 14 what is that, what is that them I imagine it's those outside the church I know what is it goes outside the church. So it's an actual person. Right, it's a, it's a, it's a person. It's not the sufferings, is what you're saying. Oh. No, I'm no, no. hey. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm just, what I said. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not saying it's one or the other. Yeah, it's the have no fear of them. The persecutors, right? So similar to what Penny said. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. Fear and trouble. So my question is, that's just an easy question, it's a cop-out question, but I'll use it anyway. Why is Peter talking about not having fear and not being troubled? What might be going on in those congregations? Fear and trouble. Right? Maybe something's going on that's pinching. He's saying, "Hey, there's more stuff for you to put your hope on, and not be feared, fearing, afraid, and troubled." But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Christ. Where did he use that word before? Honor. You remember? two, At least two places, which is very interesting. One we talked about two weeks ago, and the other we talked about forever ago. Honoring the wife. Right, so that's one place he uses that. That's the most recent one we talked about. Then the other one is more interesting. Well, I don't want to say it that way. It's more like, hmm, okay. Honor the who? The emperor, right? So it's interesting. Honor the emperor, honor your wife, honor Christ. Now, of course, do you think he's saying give the same honor to the emperor as you give to Christ, or give the same honor to Christ as you give the emperor. Obviously not. That goes without saying. But it's interesting that he uses those three, that verb, in those three situations. Honor the emperor. Hey, husbands, honor your wife. And honor Christ as holy. Maybe there were people who said, now I'm a Christian, and I have no duty to the emperor. Right? I have no responsibilities in the world. And he's saying, hey, honor the emperor. Give him the honor he is due, period. No more. Hey, husbands, maybe you're having problems honoring your wife. Honor your wife. As I said last week, don't be a bum, or two weeks ago. And then today, maybe people are freaking out. With the pinch of the world, and they're becoming afraid, they're becoming troubled. And Peter is saying, "Hey, honor Christ, and everything's going to be okay. Give Christ the honor he deserves." Yes. Fear and and trouble.
1: Yes. So it's so interesting. So my. My Bible is NIV, but I use ESV, you know, in Bible Gateway. So, ESV, for verse 14, says, But even if you should suffer to righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Which is kind of a, them is kind of vague. That was the ESV. Uh-huh. So the NIV says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed do not fear what they fear which implies
0: interesting that's right I'm having my phone parents. out so I can type that in
1: Oh I'm sorry
0: no it's what's three
1: it's 314 That's
0: right yeah.
1: So that would imply to me other people are fearing something or, and not to do it. yeah not to not to be pulled in by that.
0: Yeah, the wooden translation goes with, but if even you should suffer for righteousness, makarioi, you are blessed. Right? Makarioi is just an interesting word in Greek because that's the word that Jesus keeps saying. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And it's the word makarioi. So we just have that, I always have that word in my mind. Blessed are you. And the threats of them should not make you afraid. Neither should they make you troubled. So yeah, that's the wooden translation. The threats of them. So, we could squeeze that in one way or the other. Bump it and nudge it, as Pastor Brzezik likes to say. But yeah, that's an interesting translation choice, for sure. For us lay people,
1: which is why we here, right. Because I would read that in a totally different way. The NIV, I'd be like, oh, okay. Then when I come over to the ESV, I'd be more like, hmm, what is it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, it's good that we have I would
0: say. Yes, right. I could go on a tangent about this, but I won't. I promise. Have no fear of them. Now I'm here. And honor Christ. What does this mean? When somebody frightens you, what do you do? And I say, you make a defense. Either you run away, which is still defending yourself, or you stand up and you make a defense. So I wrote this second quote. This is um, from the Henrik book. Freed from such fear, God's people are also freed up for the goodness to which they were called. If you're not free, then look at all these things. Uh, If you are not free, then you're tied up. If you're troubled, if the world is troubling you, then you roll up into a ball and you do nothing. That was no more clearer than 2020, 2021. There was so much by so many people thrown at so many people that people just did this. They couldn't bear it. We're still suffering psychologically and emotionally from that. It was, it, was, it was, what's the word? Paralyzing is the word. And that's what Peter's saying in a way is there are things that will come that will either paralyze you and you'll be chained to those things and you won't be freed to do any good. Or you'll play the cards that are dealt to you. Cards will be dealt to you every day, every year, every part of your life. Those cards can either make you freeze up, or you can say, no, I can still do something. I'm going to say this story out of context, but it's not my story, but it's a public story. It's when uh, Pastor Bruzek's uh, mentor became very ill, right? Norman Nagel, and he became... Bound to a chair and then bound to his bed. And he was still cognizant of everything that was going on. And he said, There's good for me here somewhere. God, is, there's, God has ordained good for me somewhere in this situation. So he's playing the cards that are being dealt to him instead of shutting down. Right? And again, We had the best examples, the best of the worst examples of people shutting down um, over the last few years in those situations. And we're still, man, are we still dealing with that, again, psychologically and emotionally. But Jesus is saying you are free. And now he goes one step ahead, Peter does, Always being prepared, this is the second half of verse 15, always being prepared to make a good defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that you're so free, that you're so wonderful, that you're so happy, that you're so full of joy, that even in The terribleness of the world, you have, and what's the word he uses? Hope. Hope. It's hopefulness, right? Hope is always looking. Hope is a hope area. Hope always carries binoculars with her. Somewhere over there, there's going to be some great stuff. Always being prepared with gentleness and respect and having a good conscience. Our faith must be a first-hand discovery and not a second-hand story. What do you understand from that? That quote there. Our faith must always be a first-hand discovery and not a second-hand story.
1: The experience of ourselves, if we can. It's like... That.
0: Martha, have you indeed tasted that the Lord is good? <gasps> Who has said that? Peter, right? If you indeed tasted that the Lord is good. Right, that's going all the way back to 2.9. Are you longing, are you yourself longing for the spiritual milk? Or is your whole story about Christ somebody else's story? Or something that's distant from you? The hope that is in you. Give a defense to the hope that is in you. Not just what you've heard and seen, and something that's easy to detach yourself from. This is the hard part. This is the hard part with, um, I've noticed, with North American and like European Christianity, right? It's very objective. It's very... The most I can say about it is Christ died for me. That's it. I can't talk about what he's doing in my life and the blessings I have and the everyday... Wonders that I see in the world even though everything seems to be falling apart. We're often reticent to talk about how Jesus is working in our lives. But it's all, over the old, it's all over the Old and New Testament. People talking about the wonderful things that God has done. It's all over the Psalms. And here Peter's not saying anything new at all. He shouldn't be saying this as a matter of fact. Right? It just should be my goodness, Jesus has just made you one of His. He shouldn't be telling you to go out and talk about it and give a reason for it. You should already do it. But no, He's saying, hmm, maybe some of you... The way that He says it here, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, there are two groups of people. The one that are maybe not making a defense at all, not talking about it. And what's the other group? You have to read in between the lines.
1: Those with hope?
0: No. How does he ask us to do these things? Gentlemen. So what's the other group maybe that exists? Loud. Yeah. Believe, 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 you gotta believe, you gotta believe, you gotta believe, Oh, if you don't, are oh, you going to go to hell? Are you going to blah, 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 You're like, oh, I love hanging out with those people. You know? So, again, I'm doing the cop-out analysis, which is, well, if he says this, then the other, then maybe that is true. And I'm not saying that it might, or I'm not saying that there are people in his congregation that he's writing to that are doing that for sure. But we know those people. Period. Right? People that make the faith very unattractive. They make Christian life and what the church is very unattractive. I always say this. I don't think I've said it here. But the world has tried to destroy the church thousands of times. And it has not been able to. It's beautiful. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. But how many churches have closed down because of internal things? I become very emotional talking about those things. So if you have somebody in your church who's that loud person, and gruff and angry all the time and they got to tell everybody what's this and what's that and what's right and what's wrong and they do it out of anger, out of frustration of how things aren't working the way they want, people aren't going to really want to hang out with those kind of people or it might attract maybe those people that aren't so gentle and respectful and with good consciences and lovely, as he will say in chapter 4. Love the brotherhood. Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, Think about what he's saying here. How we ought to talk about our faith. So our faith, let's go back to that quote. Our faith must be a firsthand discovery. And again, don't understand, don't, Understand the word discovery as in like, you know, I found this treasure kind of thing. But discovery as in, it's been revealed to me. He's talking about us actually bearing Jesus in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Firsthand, firsthand, what I'm doing is what Jesus does. What I'm doing is Jesus' work. What I'm doing is the good stuff. And not, well, I'll just let those people do it. I'll just let those people talk about it. And I'll just let those people act for me. The second-handedness. This distance. Yeah. And again, Peter isn't talking in a, in a, in a demanding, gruff way here. He's just saying, hey, this is how Christians live. This is how you ought to live. So page 2... Well, let's keep moving. Let's finish the verses. Verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And we'll finish verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, And for doing evil. Verse 17 is not any new information. We've heard Peter say that before. We've heard Peter talking about a call to be holy and the sufferings that come with that and how Christ suffered and how we suffer as Christians. So that's not new. But he talks about those who revile us How are they going to be recompensed? What's their reward? So I wrote here, you're telling me that there will be people who aren't going to like what I am doing? They will slander and mistreat you like they did to Jesus? But he says the mockers and slanderers will be put to shame. How will they be put to shame? Specifically, read that verse, that half verse, and tell me how they are going to be put to shame. Or give me a situation. As one of my professors says, work from left to right definition, not a right to left. Not as being put to shame is blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, give me an example of what he's talking about. Or just define it. That's fine too.
1: It could be put to shame in the next, when you stand before Jesus Christ at the end
0: of time. Sure, so you're going all the way to the eschaton here. You're going at the end. Yeah, that's right.
1: It could be in this life too. If the person you slandered has proven himself not to, if the slander has been proven to be untrue. Uh
0: Right. It doesn't always happen in this life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: I like the explanation in my Bible. It says, because it is shown to be obviously untrue, and because the believer's loving attitude puts the
0: opponent's bitterness in a bad light. So it's just showing it as an opposite. That's right. Yeah. How many times... has something happened? Well, I don't know. How many times have we been ashamed of ourselves for having done something that... We shouldn't have to somebody else. Or how many times have we been doing good let's look at it that way, And somebody says, "Oh, you're probably not going to do that because nothing's good's going to come out of that. If you're helping somebody, maybe you're doing this, maybe you're doing that." But then that doing good that you're doing actually turns out to change that person's life or do really good for the community. Now that person who was second-guessing is now put to shame. Not because of anything that you did to shame that person, but just because of the situation itself. Right? You guys are helping out me, And I'm over here laughing at you. It'll never work. A hopeless cause. Right? So I'm mocking the situation. You're wasting your time. But then, what you're doing, this Christian, the good stuff work that you're doing, actually changes Lena's life. And I'm like, now I am put to shame. You're honored, she's honored, and I'm not. Remember the shame and honor culture that we're talking about. He talks, he uses both of those words, by the way he uses shame and before he uses honor honor christ and so, and uh, by doing that others will be put to shame cuz then you have no right to turn around the three of you and shame me the situation has already shamed me my reviling has shamed myself now you don't need to point your fingers at me and say ha 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 see told you so that's not it it's the situation has suddenly changed my standing, because I used to be an honor, right? Oh, look at me making fun of you. But now suddenly, huh, tides have turned. Yes. But
1: we've already been blessed now. That's right. So we don't need to shame, because we've been blessed.
0: Right, right, you have been blessed. We talked about that last week, right? On the contrary, blessed, and by your blessing, you are blessed just by the situation, not in a transactional way, Right? Fourteen. Read that.
1: Oh, i a project. Somebody else should read it.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. I have a mic.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, fourteen says, that even if you should suffer from what is right, you are blessed.
0: That's right. Even if you suffer, you are blessed. Blessed are those. Right? Blessed are those. The... Um, Will you put them to shame, your words? does Peter saying? So he said no. I want to talk very briefly here, a brief point about apologetics. And I don't know how you will take this, so I'm going to be talking to my training and the world I'm seeing today. More and more, it seems people are not Scientific evidence-driven. Discovering the real jars of wine from the wedding in Cana will not bring many people to Christ, is the example I used. So, for example, sometimes we are to trust discoveries and evidence and hard facts blindly. But then, sometimes in this world, we're not. I'm not talking about the church. I'm just talking about the world itself. Right? Things are supposed to be black and white through scientific discoveries. But, well, now they're not so much in the world that we're living in. Things aren't so clear-cut. Things that were are not. Things that weren't are. Things are changing all the time in scientific discovery. Things are... Being interpreted differently, right? If we just look at the glaring example that's in front of us and, you know, the gender debates, things that used to be clear cut are not clear cut. Science is one thing, people say another. And there are a million other examples of this. This is just the one that's being talked about the most. What I'm getting at is that people less and less are being convinced of Christianity because of hard evidence, right? Everybody knows Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. That did a lot of good for a lot of people. But I think my generation and younger and a little older don't care about that anymore because there's just so much fluidity. We now pick who we're going to listen to in terms of evidence, in terms of science, in terms of discovery. It's not just an objective thing. It's not, if you can only show me factually that Christ rose from the dead, I will believe. You don't hear any people talking about that anymore. Right? That wave has come on. That's why, like, the old school atheists, like the famous atheists on TV or whatnot, like, they're not gaining much ground. So many people are turning to religion. So many young people are turning to some sort of spirituality. Right? The number of people going, for example, into Islam, people who aren't even uh, uh, from Arabic or North African backgrounds, is astonishing because they're finding something to hold on to where a lot of the world is not something to hold on to. Right? Atheism is... Fine and good for some people, but they can't hold on to anything. Right? So they go into something. So it's in so interesting that when I was a kid, not a kid, but when I was a teenager, I used to listen to these big deal public atheists, you know, like uh Richard Dawkins or something like that. And I'm like, oh, they're gonna destroy the church, and we're all gonna be atheists in 20, 30 years because all their arguments make so much sense. Right? It's so grounded. It's so evidence-driven. Or so I thought. But I'm like, well, nobody cares about that anymore, actually. like Nobody's really listening. You don't have these hordes of people that are now just atheists. You actually have a lot of people who are like, as Pastor Bruce likes, likes to say, you go into Barnes & Noble, you have this huge section like spirituality and, and witchcraft and just connecting with something else that now I'm going back to what Peter's talking about this formal so a lot of people read this give a defense to the faith and they say well look at the hard evidence that Jesus actually existed look at the the new geological digs that are going on in Israel or in Syria or in you know cuz look it, this proves that Moses or Noah, or, 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 or. Well, I'm not sure people are driven so much by that. What I can say is that people walk through those doors and they see smiling Christs doing this to them. And that's what's making them stay. They see little Jesuses, Christians, right? Little Christs acting as Christ. Because Christ is in you. And that's why they're here. They're here because of the beauty of the Christian community, the body of Christ. So when it says give a defense, of course it's talking about speaking. But it's also talking about living. Right? Why do you have so much hope? Why are you always happy? Not always happy. Why are you joyful? we've already heard the word joy here a couple of times in peter's letter now we hear hope because christ has done something in your life christ has pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light you were nobody now you're somebody your royal priesthood your chosen people a chosen race This is why you're hopeful. Because this is a beautiful place. The church is a beautiful place. And that beauty is what's bringing people to Jesus. So, what is that hope? So, what makes you hopeful? And how do we show it? Are the questions I put there. So as I said before, so that's my spiel on apologetics. It serves good, and I think it's very interesting, and it's cool, and I'm a fan to a certain point. But overall, I don't think that's what's going to bring people to Christ in this generation, my generation, and younger, and a little older. I'm talking here to myself. I don't think it's, look at the hard evidence, right? Like the, the, shout, the Shroud of Turin or something like that. And people used to say, oh, it is Jesus. They did DNA evidence and they found out it's from a guy from 2,000 years ago. Blah, 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 blah. People are like, oh, well, then it must be true. No, we must believe in Christ. You know, I'm not sure that's what bringing people in anymore, fortunately or unfortunately. Right? It's, this, it's something else that people are looking for. We will suffer. All suffer. But some will suffer for doing good and others for doing evil. And again, it's that how do we view suffering? Is it beyond our knowledge or experience? What I mean by that is um, our own experience of suffering. Have we experienced suffering for doing good? And again, I don't want to put all sorts of suffering in this category. Peter's specifically talking about the church doing what the church does and suffering because of that. Peter almost nowhere in this talks about just suffering. He talks about it very little, about just suffering in your everyday sufferings. Right? He talks about suffering for being a Christian, for doing the good that Christ does uh, in our lives and us living that out. That's what he's talking about. So, My last little bit there, the doing good. The church itself, or I might change that too, the church herself must truly be displaying the good way of life in Christ. How are we living the good life in Christ here? Not my good life or what we have collectively decided as our good life, who actually chooses what that good life is? Who runs the show? What did you say? Christ runs the show. How does Christ describe the good life? Right? Not my good life, because then I suddenly, well, I'm going to join another church because these people are not blah, 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 blah. Or this table is going to join a bunch of because they've decided that our good life is not what you guys think a good life is. So we're going to leave. But it's this good life in terms of the Jesus good life. So I, uh, my, the second to last quote I have, it is only when a man falls in love with the goodness or with goodness that the wrong things lose their fascination and their power. So we start, we end with how we started. Are we falling in love with the good stuff? Jesus, His gifts, the life He has for us. When we have fallen in love with that, everything else is secondary. Everything, right? When we say, Jesus, whatever happens, happens. But Jesus that everything else loses their sparkle because all flesh is grass, as Peter has said, and gold can be melted and destroyed. But what we have is bigger than that and stronger than that. And everything else, I pray, will lose their fascination and power over our lives, that only Jesus is our ultimate love so my last sentence a saint is somebody whose life makes it easier to believe in god what does that mean let's reflect on that just for a second before we close shop what do you uh what do you think and again, I am not using the word "saint. You can use the word "saint" here in a Roman Catholic way. It's not what I'm doing. I'm just, just, just using the, in the New Testament way. Just say you're saints, right? In the way that the epistles talk about it, for example. It
1: for some people you might be the only Bible they
0: ever read.: Right, right? Yeah, we've heard that before. You are the only Bible that the word "read," that the world reads is how you're living in front of them. right?
1: so example, you know, like you live it in such a way that
0: gives people hope that right true yeah and you're not miserable or as Pastor Bruzek says you're not a dork about it yeah anything else with that I love that quote I read it this morning I said I have to include it in this so I printed these I printed these this morning because sometimes I have revelations at night of what I should, like I had one a few weeks ago uh, in the shower before church. And I said, I'm glad I didn't print the one. So I printed in the morning just in case something comes up. But yeah, so I like that a lot. Yes, please. It reminds me of
1: the verse about, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your
0: Father who is in heaven. Right, let your light shine before men. Yeah. So... That's today, and I want you to reflect on what the meat, the center of, uh, of today's um, text was, and that is, give a defense with gentleness and a good conscience and with respect. And what does that mean in your life, in your living? Yeah. Anything else before we close shop? Let's see. This weekend is Christmas sharing tomorrow, right? Um, There's catechumen at tomorrow morning as well. Advent 2. Beautiful Advent 2. Jesus is coming. Come soon, Lord Jesus. So let us pray and let us go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven,